I'm Liam Martin, and I'm about to have a productive conversation with Mike Vardy. Welcome to a productive conversation, and it's another Canadian on the program today. I think that's back-to-back-to-back Canadians, if you've been paying attention to the most recent episodes. Actually, not entirely true. Ian Morgan Cron was not a Canadian, but definitely an episode worth listening to. Anyway, Liam Martin is joining me on the program today. And Liam is a serial entrepreneur who runs timedoctorandstaff.com, but he is also a co-organizer of the world's largest remote work conference, Running Remote, which I will be making an appearance at this year in May of 2022. Uh, He holds an undergrad and grad degree in sociology from McGill University in Montreal, lives in Canada, but travels three to six months out of the year due to his ability to work wherever and whenever he likes. He's a pioneer in the remote workspace. And he's also co-authored a book that's coming out in August of 2022 called Running Remote, which is focused on remote work methodology. So probably know what we're going to be talking about today in this conversation. So Sit back, relax, and enjoy a productive conversation that I had with Liam Martin. Liam, man, we were having a productive conversation before we hit record, just talking about all the things that sure. are going on. But uh, thanks again for for joining me on the on the program today. I really appreciate it. As I take a sip of my Tim Hortons, I was going to say it's uh, Tim yes, Hortons. <laughs> I'm very very happy. Did you get some uh, Tim beans in, in, at the same time or no? Uh, uh, for people that aren't listening, I'm holding up a Tim Hortons, um, or people that are only listening, I'm holding up a Tim Hortons. Uh, this is a uh, brioche bun mm-hmm. because I live in Quebec and they don't give you anything else other than brioche buns. And then a, a double double, uh, which I cracked open this morning. Yeah, I, I have been um, having an incredibly productive conversation with you. And we go back so many years, and it's amazing that um, just to kind of catch up with an old digital friend that is uh, it's, it's always so exciting because we've had such little face-to-face contact with people over the last two and a half years. And we could actually visit each other and have far less friction other than prices <laughs> flying across Canada, other than that. Um, but in terms of all the things that are going on, but I mean, this is perfect because we are talking about this idea of like working remote. And before we hit record, we were talking about like the evolution of kind of what's been going on with remote work since, well, well I mean, we, it, we've talked before this, but once COVID-19 hit, I mean, as much as we try to make these conversations timeless, I've, I've said that COVID-19 was not one of the things I would bring up until it became part of history. It is now like, it's, it's no longer a blip on the radar. It's, 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 it's part of what's been going on. And you started to go into something that I definitely agree with. And so I'm going to let you go into it, especially when it comes to the concept of remote work. What has, I mean, I I think a lot of people know the answer to this, but in terms of the the pandemic and COVID-19, what, what impact did it have on remote work and how did you handle that right out of the gate? Sure. So February of 2020, 4% of the U.S. workforce was working remotely. More specifically, 4.3% of the U.S. workforce was working remotely. March of 2020, 45% of the U.S. workforce was working remotely. Uh, That's the biggest transition to work since the Industrial Revolution. But the Industrial Revolution took about 80 years, and we did all of that in March. So a complete transition and transformation of how work was done occurred during that one month. A 
ton of people ended up embracing work in a completely different way. Uh, effectively, remote work is now the genie has been let out of the bottle. Mm-hmm. And we're now at a place two and a half years later, I think we're at right now, where about 30% of the U.S. workforce is still working remotely. And again, if you're not in the United States, probably you've got the same ratios where you're located and it doesn't look like it's going away. So I think we're entering now the next stage of remote work, which to me is a lot more exciting. It definitely accelerated this though, right? Like this idea of, and I think one of the things that I've noticed is some of the pushback that's been happening since things are starting to, uh, I don't want to say return to normal because there's no return to normal, but since there, since now things are loosening up for lack of a better term, I recently watched, I've been doing a little bit more on TikTok. I saw there's a lot of remote work TikTok stuff that's happening. And somebody said, you know, well, now it's time for everybody to return to the office full time. And then this person says, yeah, I won't be doing that. And they're like, well, why? Because I don't want to. Like there's this, there, there now seems to be this pushback on both sides. Um, what do you have to say to organizations in particular that are now starting to see an emergence of, okay, people can start to come back. Is it worth everybody coming back? I think that, that we're now at the point now where there can be this hybrid option or this, um, you know, subjective way of working as opposed to everyone's got to be in the office from nine to five and this is how we do it. Yeah. I've seen that conspiratorial underpinnings with regards to the forcible reentry back to the office Mm -hmm. as well. And I actually think that there's a lot of, so I've been studying this uh, from a data perspective. Yeah. And it's interesting, the people that are saying we all need to go back to the office, um, they may not be, you know, it may be some type of report or some type of study, but then when you find out who's behind the study, it's usually something like a corporate lease company. Uh, So that's something else that I'm working on as well to be able to figure out, like, let's actually check everyone's sources here and figure out what the heck is going on. Mm -hmm. Um, The hard facts, and again, take this with a grain of salt because I've been working remotely for almost 20 years. I am a uh, self-proposed fundamentalist remote worker Uh, I do look at the truth, but I really am committed to remote work. I think it is probably the single most important thing that you can do to be able to improve the quality of your work life. Remote work makes you more productive, fundamentally. Um, If you just take that hour and a half that you would have spent commuting to work and back from work, and you spent that sleeping, you would still produce a much better return on investment than getting everyone to come to one particular place every single day and then pretend to collaborate and not really do that and then go back to their individual computers and work just the way that he did during the pandemic. So I think we're at a real crossroads right now where the vast majority of the market is going to a hybrid work policy. So there's three major directions. There's staying remote, going hybrid, and um going completely back to the office. And it's about 60% are going hybrid, 20% are deciding to stay completely remote, and then 20% are being forced back to the office. We're seeing the big uh, the big term is called the great resignation. Yep. The primary reason why this great resignation is happening is due to remote work. Um, it's directly correlated to that. The people that do want to be able to work remotely know that they can switch jobs very easily. And I think that everyone needs to recognize If you're forcing your employees back to the office, expect a significant amount of that workforce, particularly the top tier 
of your workforce to say, hey, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to go work for somewhere else. So you've got the book coming out, Master the Lessons from the World's Most Successful Remote Work Pioneers. The book is called Running Remote, and you co-authored it with Rob Rawson. What I love is in the little bottom corner, the manual for asynchronous work. And I think that the, the great thing about what I've gathered from the book is that it's not just for individuals, but it's for people that are working with individuals who are working remotely and they're, they're still trying to navigate it. Right. I think one of the things that happened and you alluded to this is because everything was accelerated due to COVID-19. Um, there's still that we're still in this, not honeymoon. We're in a honeymoon phase to a degree, but we're also in this period of adjustment, right? Where it's like, okay, we were forced into this and now, oh, this is kind of good or, oh, we're missing these things. How do we, how do we navigate it? And you talk about the asynchronous mindset and that to me is fascinating because I've never heard that term before. I know what asynchronous is. Obviously I know what a mindset is. Combine those. What is the asynchronous mindset? So we interviewed a few dozen unicorn remote first organizations. So billion dollar plus valuation companies. And one of the things that really blew me away is the vast majority of those companies operated in an asynchronous way. So call it asynchronous mindset. Um, Fundamentally, it's the asynchronous management philosophy. It's the application of labor being, being able to gain access to their most productive forms of work without necessarily having synchronous conversations that connect them to completing that work. And that sounds a little complicated, but I'll I'll make it a lot simpler. Um, Netflix versus regular TV. At 8 p.m. on Fridays, I would love to watch Friends back in the 90s. And if you showed up at 8.10, you were already 10 minutes out of Friends, right? You had to wait another year until the rewind started to be able to to watch that show. Mm -hmm. Now we have Netflix. We can choose when we want to consume that content. Asynchronous organizations work exactly the same way. There's no requirement on your time to show up to a particular place in order to consume information because all of that information inside of the organization is recorded, categorized, and documented so that anyone inside of the company can get access to effectively the same level of information as the CEO of the company. And this empowers them to be able to embrace what I think our mutual friend Cal Newport says is uh, deep work, the understanding that everyone inside of an organization should be optimized towards a state of deep work and remote first organizations. And we've known this for over a decade in the running remote space or the remote working space is the more people that you can optimize towards deep work, the faster your organization grows. So the, the asynchronous mindset kind of grew out of this movement. And the beauty of it is you don't actually have to be remote in order to deploy an asynchronous mindset. You can do it inside of an office as well. And that's what we lay out in the book. It, you know, you brought up Cal and um, he's been on the program before. We'll link to some of his appearances in the show notes. But one of the things that that I think people who are used to a synchronous style of work have problems with when it comes to developing this asynchronous is the trust factor. Well, how do I know that they're going to look at it here? How do I know they didn't respond to my email or my Slack message right away. And he Cal brings this up in his book, a world without email. He, he actually, and what's fascinating again is that people look at that and they go, that's an impossible world to live by. Well, you know, I mean the, the, the title's catchy, but I mean, his, his message is, you know, the idea of immediacy, 
false immediacy disrupts deep work, right? The sense of false urgency or false immediacy disrupts deep work and therefore compromises your productivity. So what, what can you give me a couple of examples of, of how we can break the patterns or the biases of people who are, for lack of a better term, lacking the trust or the understanding that, hey, yes, I know this email is there. Why are you sending 15 emails when one could be sent at once? Or, hey, it's okay. They're going to get to it. You know, don't worry about this urgency or this immediacy. Because again, if everything's urgent, nothing is, right? Sure. Well, we really break it down into three core components, deliberate communication, democratized processes, and detailed metrics. And if you don't have all three of those, you really can't run an asynchronous organization. The one that, and we can get into those as well later on, the one that I would really want to focus on as it applies to that is detailed metrics. Inside of our current company, uh, we have team members in 43 different countries all over the world. I can know within about two minutes what everyone's metrics are and what they are down to the day. So I know how many backlinks are being generated. Vaishali was, as an example, the person that reached out yep. to be able to book this meeting and facilitate everything. Vaishali has, Vaishali has a metric, which is going and booking podcast sessions for me. There's a process, there's documentation, um, and there's metrics, yep. right? So inside of these large corporate organizations, Managers effectively do that because of the false assumption that more collaboration equals more productivity. And we found counterintuitively, the more collaboration that occurs, there's an exponential kind of discount on the output. Mm -hmm. So that first hour of collaboration is incredibly productive. The fourth hour of collaboration is way less productive um, than the first hour. Probably actually, when you would look at it, if you have a four-hour meeting... The first hour is incredibly productive and the, the next three hours that, you know, go after that are probably as productive as the first hour. So you should probably just shut down the meeting and, and walk out of the door. So we don't do that. Uh, we basically focus on making sure that all of our metrics are documented quantifiably and longitudinally. And then we don't really have to talk about that at any point. What are you doing? Let me look it up. Yeah. Score, <laughs> Let me the, see what you're doing. Yeah, the score uh, this the, week, this month, this quarter. Yeah. Like, are you hitting your numbers or you're not hitting your numbers? Yeah. Let's talk about the issue about you not hitting these targets, which is a more important piece of information than simply reporting that information, which is the vast majority of what occurs inside of synchronous organizations. So the hesitancy around that, and I've got, had pushback on that as well. Is when, so for example, uh, you know, you've got large organizations, number one, they're either using the wrong tool or they're, or they're measuring the wrong thing, right? So it's like, I, uh, if I go in and I say, hey, listen, you know, you need to set up a piece of software or some kind of measuring tool or some kind of framework in place that allows you to do this kind of quantifiable measurement so that you get qualitative results. Cause that's ultimately what that ha what happens. They go, Oh man, that seems like a lot of work. That's like, there's this bias that, that, that shows up because it's hard to change. And it's actually interesting as you were talking about, like the, I've never really thought about it this way, but the more collaboration that takes place in these buckets for lack of a better term uh, the longer that happens, the, dimin the there's diminishing returns. I have to wonder if that's because ego starts to show up, right? Like these little, you know, let's like, well, I need to have that. I mean, that, that could be it, but, or part of it, but what about the person that says, okay, I get it. I need to have metrics. And, and, and I was hoping you would go there because 
there is pushback on, well, yeah, but what the way we're working is fine. Like what we can't use that tool or there's training involved and how do we know, or there's this one person that just keeps emailing us instead of checking off their, their tasks in ClickUp or Asana or whatever the heck they're using. Like, how do you, how do you break through that bias? Like, is it, is it something simple that flips a switch or is it just consistent pressure that does it? Yeah, you do it gently. Um, we we do have a chapter specifically on how to be able to deploy this, mm-hmm. but I'll give you an example of um, GitLab, which is one of the companies that we interviewed, which is a fantastically successful remote-first organization. When I did a synchronous call with um, who I call the Wikipedia of remote work in the book, every single question that I asked him uh, the response was, oh, oh, here's how we do that. Uh, let me send you a link. Here's the process document on how we do that. How do you measure the productivity of individuals? Here's the link. Here's the actual process that we have for that. Here's the process for this. Here's the process for that. And inside of our organization, when we onboard someone to the organization, it's okay to ask questions. Um, it's not okay to ask stupid questions that you could figure out the solution to in under two minutes right. by going into our internal wiki and figuring it out yourself. And it's not necessarily that we don't want to answer those questions. It's that we understand that the short-term immediacy of you getting that information may improve your productivity today, but that is a long-term trend massively slows down the organization's productivity long-term. So we want to be able to root that out as quickly as possible. And we do it through detailed metrics, but more importantly, to be able to measure what's going going on, but then also detailed documentation. So being able to have that documentation inside of the organization to be able to figure out anything inside of the company is written down, documented, debated upon, um, so that you have a very clear understanding of like, yeah, uh, this is how I book a podcast, as an example. Yep. This is how, this is the this is the the part of the plane that Liam likes to fly in. <laughs> uh, he, he's you know he's has celiac disease, so he can't get this type of meal on the plane. All of that stuff is documented inside of the company, and um, and once you actually complete that, then you really have the formula to scale because you can move to. 10,000 people, 20,000 people, 100,000 people, because the process is now the manager. The manager is no longer the manager, effectively. It's fascinating. Every time this solution comes up beyond asynchronous work first, focus on the process and the outcome. Like the score takes care of itself, right? That, that idea. To me, whenever whenever someone butts heads about that, it's like, it's clear. Focus on process and, and the process is, will evolve, right? Like the process will change, but once you set it and you have to take time to do it, like it's a, it, 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 it's not like a, um, quick, quick fix. And I think we live in a world, especially with productivity where we want those, we need that quick dopamine hit. We need that quick win. We want that quick win. But if we're doing the wrong things to get there, we're, we're, we're diminishing the long-term impact that we can have you know, whether it's working remotely in this case, especially, or just working in general, right? Like, you know, focusing on the wrong things. Um, I want to shift gears and talk about the importance of uh, getting people in the same space to talk about this stuff because we've been behind screens for so long. You and I are talking behind a screen right now. Um, 
you know, the idea of being able to get back in and the hybrid opportunity, let's say, where people are working from home for a good portion of time, but then they get together. Um, what does a typical hybrid model do you think? What what do you think a typical model looks like or or what would the ideal one look like in your mind? I think the ideal one is probably the most important question because as we had said, or I think as, as I had said before, 60% of the U.S. market is going hybrid. Right. Uh, that is by far the most popular option that's going to happen. And there are lots of people that say, I'd rather have you go completely back to the office than, uh, than to a hybrid model because there are a lot of people that are saying it's the worst of those three options. And the biggest reason why is what we call in the remote first base distance bias. So managerial distance bias is a really important factor that you need to take into consideration. We're on a video call right now. Let's say there were two people uh, with you, Mike and somebody else, and I'm all off on my own. And then we're debating a particular issue and we say, hey, we're going to do A. And then when we drop off, Mike's the boss and Susan turns to Mike and is like, Liam's an idiot. Listen, I think that we should do B, (laughs) right? And Mike's like, yeah, you're right. We should do B. And then the next morning I wake up all ready to do A and we're doing A and we're doing B. Yep. And I think to myself, what the heck is going on? What, when did that change? Well, that changed in that synchronous, secret, undocumented conversation uh-huh. that hybrid organizations are going to have in spades. And they're currently already having this. Right. Um, the di- term distance bias was actually coined by Joel Gascoigne from Buffer, who was a very early remote first pioneer that ended up um, speaking multiple times at our conference. So that's one of the biggest things that you need to take into consideration. And I think what we're seeing right now is a bunch of those private conversations being producing a reward for being closer to the manager, which is a really bad precedent to be able to set, which is, hey, you know what? Everyone's got to go back to the office because if I don't, I'm going to get screwed and I'm not going to be able to get what I want done inside of the organization. Do you think that, I was thinking about this as we were uh, discussing the conference that you're hosting, the running remote conference, and this idea of having a bunch, you know, people get together in a responsible way, you know, because we still are in in that era of, you know, social, you know, distancing and different protocols in different places and so on and so forth. But to me, the hybrid model presents a really rich opportunity to create amazing experiences for the people within the work environment. So for example, not only the experience of like, Hey, we're going to all come together and we're going to do this amazing thing. We're going to have this annual conference that we get together as a, as a company. And it's like all the money that we saved on commercial real estate that we were renting before, which is why, you know, you alluded to that a little bit earlier, you know, that, and I totally hear where you're coming from on that. You know um, the idea of we can create this amazing experience, but I think the other thing that it does, and I think people don't take this into account is that the amazing experience is consistent because people get to work in environments and under conditions that are more productive for them. First off, more, con- more comfortable, conducive to deeper work uh, and therefore more productive for them. So, to me, like I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on that because the, the larger gatherings, the opportunities to create these um, moments, Chip and Dan Heath have the book called The Power of Moments, these amazing momentous things where it's like, we couldn't do that before because we were throwing money at, you know, either performance reviews that we had to do, sure. you know, all that stuff. We can now create these experiences that are going to make, going to create loyal employees, which again, 
frankly, lowers your overhead because you're not focusing on churn and, and retraining and all that stuff. Sure. So inside of our company and most remote pioneer companies, remote work, remote work companies pre-pandemic, we had a company team retreats. Mm-hmm. So we would end up boiling that down to three major cities. I think we were going to go to Mumbai uh, in 2020 and we had everything booked and it was going to cost us uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars to be able to bring everyone to one location for effectively a mini conference about the company mm-hmm. for a week. And Everyone loves those. (laughs) It's a free vacation on the company dime, right? We always choose a location. And this, again, is our culture. We choose a location that's a little bit difficult to be able to get into. We don't want to go to the Cancuns of the world. We want to be able to go somewhere that we think is going to be kind of just a little bit different. Yeah. And and the other thing that remote-first organizations have recognized is they treat collaboration as an a la carte kind of method as opposed to on-premise companies. So on-premise companies, again, they spend that 90 minutes and it's a sunk cost, which is everyone's going to come to one particular place every single day and we're going to sit and then we're going to have a buffet of collaboration. Open collaboration. Everyone can, can bother each other for as much as they humanly possibly can because we've paid this huge cost. We have this big office. Everyone drove in for 90 minutes and We want to be able to get as much collaboration in as humanly possible. Remote first organizations, when they didn't have that kind of restriction placed upon them, um, they realized, well, we can collaborate as much or as little as we want. And the cost is only in the moment of that collaboration. Mm -hmm. So we're able to measure collaboration more effectively. And we've discovered that the more you collaborate, the less productive you are. So we really choose those intensive times to be collaborative. We go to an in-person event. We get so much work done during that week. That's when we say, okay, we're going to do all of our planning for the next year and all of what happened the previous year and figuring out strategic directions for the business. What's the three-year plan? What's the five-year plan? That's all done during that week. And in between, uh, we try to be as efficient as humanly possible when we communicate. And this is something that, again, remote first organizations, or sorry, on-premise organizations haven't really recognized. And the companies that have transitioned to a remote work sphere, uh, I lovingly call them pandemic panickers, they have not yet really recognized that working from home shouldn't really be living at work. And they're trying to kind of hybridize these systems into one you know, one program, which I think will long-term end up uh, resulting in a whole bunch of people either hating remote work or just saying, I'm tired of these hybrid organizations. I'm going to go to a completely remote organization or a completely on-premise organization. One of the things that um, I've thought about when it comes to collaboration and working in, in, in a, in an office environment, one of the things that, that remote work or even a hybrid model uh, helps determine, and this may not be everyone's cup of tea. And it, it, you know, I mean, when I say that, I mean that some people might not like this idea, but I remember going to a conference once where we, we had to do these breakout exercises and we all were given a different animal in the animal kingdom. And we had to look at their society and it wasn't the one I got, but another, another group got one called the, they got ants. And one of the things that they found in their research during that, I think they had an hour, 90 minutes to put this thing together is that there is a 
an ant inside of each colony, and sometimes there's more, called the lounger ant. And so that ant actually doesn't do anything other than go along with the crowd and and look as if it is contributing to the colony. So it is it is a slacker. It is it is basically like the ant that that mooches off of the rest of the the, the colony. And because there's so many of them, you don't really notice it, right? Like it's just, you know, they're like, oh, like, and if they do get caught, they quickly like make themselves look busy, which I thought, found fascinating because that's not just unique to the, <laughs> to the ant kingdom either, which I think, I wonder if the metrics that we were talking about, because we've been focusing on that, that will help isolate that stuff. Because I think there's a lot of people that both, that fall on two sides of the equation. They put in their eight hours because they're supposed to, but they, do, but they spread that workout and they, or they, you know, they front load it and they go on. And then there's the ones that finish in six hours, but then are like, Oh, well, you know, they get punished because either, well, you know, you're leaving early or, Oh, you're done already. Well, here's more work. Right. So right. what, how does the remote or hybrid model kind of help with that particular area? Cause I think that's an area that, that definitely um, it can, it can pay dividends in. Yeah, I mean, the biggest one is disconnecting time from work. So disconnect time from work, uh, simplest answer. Mm -hmm. How much time you spend working on something does not actually equate to the value that you inject inside of it. Different people have different rates of value that they put into something. You know, uh, if you wanted to sit down with me for an hour about remote working, and how to build a remote first organization, the value that I can provide is almost exponentially higher than anyone that's in corporate America that's only been doing it for a year or two, right? right. So should we both be billed at the same rate? No, <laughs> I, think that, I think that that would actually be pretty unfair to be completely honest with you. Yep. And this is the thing that I find, I find quite frustrating inside of corporate America because during the last year and a half of me researching this book, I also tried to figure out how corporates tick. And I was blown away at these massive organizations where they would basically just boil down to, well, well, we really like Mike. We really like him. You know, he's a go-getter. Uh, he's a real hustler. You know, all of these types of terms. I'm like, okay, well, what, but Mike didn't hit any of his targets that he was supposed to hit this year. Yeah, well, that's not really Mike's fault. You know, and I was like, was it? I don't know. Maybe it was it your fault because you set the targets. It's either your fault or it's Mike's fault. So either one, one of you two people should be fired and not work at this company any longer. And, and it was just a very weird, different way of running a company, at least to me. And I recognized that my head had been stuck in this bubble of remote first organizations where fundamentally I'll give you one very interesting story. Um, mm. Amir, who is the founder of Doist, yep. which he's you know, been on the Todoist, yeah, uh, he's, been, he's, he's been on the program, been on the program before. I am an ambassador for Todoist, full disclosure. <laughs> okay. So he had an engineer that worked in his team mm -hmm. that he never met. He never did a video call with. He never did an audio call with. Um, this person just existed in the proverbial metaverse and did work and he did fantastic work. He was one of the top engineers in the company, he worked there for four years. Um, and he ended up, I think they ended up, he ended up moving on to some other position or something like that. But 
every single interaction that they had was through text. Every single interaction that they had was through text. Um, because he got his work done. <laughs> he was a top performer. Uh, they identified adequately what targets he needed to reach. They, they set those goals. They had quantitative directives. And he solved all of those problems for him. He filled all of those boxes. Um, I think in corporate America, people would be terrified at some, someone like that. You probably couldn't do it actually in corporate America because there'd be some kind of like know your customer KYC laws that you'd have to take into consideration. But fundamentally, it doesn't matter who this person is. Focus on the output instead of the inputs. And you're actually going to have a much better organization and you're going to have a much more egalitarian organization. And you're also going to be able to push out those lounger, lounger ants that you were referring to. Um, remote first organizations very quickly identify who is adding positively to the organization and who isn't. Liam, the book is called Running Remote. Uh, it master the lessons from the world's most successful remote work pioneers. People can pick it up where, where can they, where can they pick up the book? And then I want to touch on before we wrap up the, about the conference. Sure. Everywhere books are being sold um, from what Harper's tells me. Okay. <laughs> so we're, we're launching later in the year. Uh, if you are interested in checking out the book, just go to runningremote.com and we'll have the link to the book there. Um, you'll be able to get into our, our list and check it out from that point. We also have, you know, first chapters and all that kind of stuff if people are interested. And if people are interested in going to the running remote conference, where can they go to uh, make that happen? That is May 17th and 18th in Montreal, Canada. It's going to be fantastic spring weather. And we're assembling what is the largest conference on building and scaling remote teams, which we have been doing for the past five years, except for COVID. And we're going to have about 40 speakers, uh, two different stages. It's going to be a fantastic event. If you're interested in really building a company remotely and scaling one, this is definitely the conference for you. And we'll have the links in the show notes. Where can people keep up with you and your work beyond the book and, and the conference? I think the best place would be YouTube. Uh, go to youtube.com slash running remote. All of our talks are up there for free. And I also do weekly videos, breaking down my perspectives on where remote work is going. A lot of stuff has happened in the last two years. So I've been pretty busy making videos. But if you want to, you know, ask a question up there, I'll be happy to respond to you within 24 hours. Asynchronously, by the way. Yeah, there you go. That's the key. Liam, thanks so much for joining me and having a productive conversation with me today. Thanks for having me. Big thanks to Liam for joining me for this very special bonus episode. I wanted to get this out to you sooner rather than later because while Liam's book is coming out in August, Running Remote will be happening in Montreal in May. You can get the link to purchase tickets in the show notes, or you can also go to the website where the show notes can be found at productivityist.com slash podcast running remote. And when you do that, then you're going to be able to purchase tickets, see me, on a panel. And also we are working on putting together a, an event, a meetup, a workshop of sorts, whatever, whatever we're going to do, we're in the process of making it happen. And, uh, you'll be able to get access to that as well. We'll have more details on that as things come to light, because as of this recording, it's still kind of in the incubation and workout stages. Uh, but once we get to that level, I'll be sure to share it with you 
through the podcast. So if you're subscribed to the podcast, which I hope you are, you'll be able to get uh, details on that as we make them available, but also on the blog and through social media. You just need to follow me on those platforms. If you want to support the podcast beyond just subscribing to the show, which you can do, of course, in this podcast app that you're using right now, you can check out our sponsors and uh, you go to productivities.com slash podcast sponsors and the page lists all the sponsors that we've had for the episodes up to this point, including the one you're listening to right now. And another way, of course, you can support the show is by rating and reviewing this podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening. But the real thing I want you to do for sure is go check out the show notes page and check out Running Remote. Again, productivityist.com slash podcast running remote. I'd love to see you in Montreal in May of 2022. That's it for this episode. Thanks so much for taking the time to join me today. And until next time, I'm Mike Vardy, the host of A Productive Conversation, reminding you to stop doing productive and start being productive. See you later.